And Father, we thank you for uh, the opportunity we have to sit at your feet and learn today. Uh, Lord, that you might continue to fill us with the good news of Jesus Christ, that we would not be filled with fear as we hear all the news of uh, world events and we see the chaos that happens when uh, people or even animals uh, get loose and cause destruction. Lord, we just, um, death is awful. And yet you give us a view into the future where you have, you have conquered death and you pull us into eternity through Jesus Christ. And so, Lord, we pray that you'd continue to give us a mind of things that are eternal, things that are according to your salvation, things that are according to your holiness, Lord, that we might be a people set apart for you. And we pray that you would teach us now by your word in Jesus' name. Amen. If you have your Bible, please turn to Revelation chapter 14. Revelation chapter 14. As we began this book, this was a book that we said was a revelation of Jesus Christ. It says it right in the opening verse, and so this chapter will be no different. Now, we're going to hit the first five verses as we enter in. Hopefully, you all have a Bible. If you don't have a Bible, we have Bibles available for you on the side table or in the table in the back. You're welcome to pick one of those up and take it with you. It's yours to keep. Uh, we want to make sure everybody's got a Bible. This word in here is so good for us to hear. It's so good to hear how the Lord has cared for us now and forever. So let's go ahead and read chapter 14, starting in verse 1. It says, Then I looked. This is John writing, so he's looking in a vision. It says, Then John looked, and behold, on Mount Zion stood the Lamb, and with him 144,000 who had his name and his father's name written on their foreheads. So as he begins, if you remember what happened in the last chapter, it's almost too bad that there's a chapter break there because we just heard about the first beast, which is the system of Satan. It's being driven by Satan. It's being led by Satan. And then the second beast, which is the Antichrist, who is the face of Satan's system. Antichrist then goes on and causes that everybody should be marked on the forehead or the right hand with the mark of the beast, the number 666. It's the man's number, uh, the number of humanity. So that everybody who is not in Jesus Christ would be marked and set apart by that mark, uh, whether that's physical uh, or whether that's figurative. We talked about last week. We don't quite know. If you need to hear more about that and you weren't here, you're welcome to pick up that CD on your way out or find that sermon uh, on the internet, uh, on our website, but just to let you know, it was just a, a representation that these people are set apart from Jesus. They are within the system of Satan. They follow Satan, even though they might not go to Satan's church, but because they're not with Jesus, they're then following the ways of Satan. They've been marked. But immediately in this one, we see that there are 144,000 that are set apart, not for Satan, but they're actually set apart for Christ. And they are marked on their foreheads also with a sign. It's not the mark of the beast. It says it's the mark of the father, the mark of the lamb. It's his, their names written across their forehead. Now, this 144,000 that are here, it's not, in my opinion, that it's a literal 144,000. If you go back and listen to the sermon from Revelation chapter 7, we talked about how this number was significant because what it's talking about is the complete number of people that Jesus has saved. It's talking about 12,000, 12,000, 12,000 in each of the 12 tribes of Israel, which equal 144,000, showing the completeness of the number of God's people. And so what that means is, Anybody and everybody who is in Jesus Christ will be marked by Jesus and set apart for him. You are owned by him. You are his. Amen. 
Like a child who says, these are my toys. Let me write my name on them so that everybody knows these belong to me. Jesus and his father also take you and write on you. They write their name on your forehead. And when people see you, they say they're set apart for God. Set apart for him. It's like you're tattooed. I don't know what your belief in tattoos are. You may be for them or against them. But one day, if you're with Jesus, you'll be tattooed on the forehead for him. And if you're not with Jesus, you'll be tattooed on your forehead for not Jesus. You'll be marked and set apart. It'll be a representation of who you're with. Now, a funny, quick story. When, when I was younger, about fifth grade, uh, somebody had given me a gift. It was this little funny, almost looked like a half of a, uh, a, a racquetball or something that had been cut in half. And when you flip that thing inside out, you could put it on a table and suddenly that thing would pop back. And when it popped, it would jump up in the air. Well, I took this thing and I had it in class with me. I had it in, 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 in class. And uh, you can't sit there and pop this thing off the table in the middle of class because you'll get in trouble. So you, you hide that toy, right? So I'm playing with it. I'm fiddling with it. And like a a well-intentioned fifth grader who's not paying attention and uh, is playing with a toy in class, I found something great to do with it. I found out that you could actually stick it on your forehead. And I stuck that thing on my forehead, and it sat there for a good five minutes. And I just thought that was so funny. I'd look at people, and they'd laugh at me. And finally, i pull that thing off, and I'd look at people, and they still laughed at me. And I could not figure out what they were laughing at. I didn't have the thing on my head anymore, but what had happened was that thing had put a Perfect circle hickey right on my forehead. And that thing was so bright purple. I mean, it had just sucked all the blood into the circle on my forehead. I walked around for a whole week with a big old hickey on my forehead. And that mark on my forehead had set me apart. I was marked as a doofus. I mean, people just knew. You know, I was, I was, I was ridiculous. My kids always say, you're a goofball, Dad. Everybody in fifth grade knew I was. I had this big hickey on my forehead. When Jesus marks you, you're a set apart. Everybody, they won't say you're a doofus. They'll say you're with the lamb. Amen. You're with the father. You're his. Amen. You'll be tattooed. It'll be written on you. And they'll know that you've been set apart. So this complete number of Jesus people, everybody's marked for him. It says in verse two, and I heard a voice from heaven, like the roar of many waters and like the sound of loud thunder. The voice I heard was like the sound of harpists playing on their harps and they were singing a new song before the throne and before the four living creatures and before the elders. No one could learn that song except 144,000 who had been redeemed from the earth. And so this group of people that have been collected out of the world, redeemed for Jesus, everybody who's in Jesus, they started up this song. They began singing this huge congregational hymn. And it was a song that had never been heard before. It was a brand new song. So I think there's going to be singer-songwriters in heaven. And they came up with this song and this, this new song. And it was absolutely gloriously beautiful what John was hearing. And it was thunderous. I mean, it talks about it. It's like thunder and it's like roaring waters. Any of you ever been to the stadium to watch a football game? And when that team that you so love and you're so passionate for, I mean, you've spent... Maybe hundreds of dollars getting to that game, traveling there, buying tickets, buying popcorn, buying drinks. You I mean you spent money buying the T-shirt? You're all in. You love that team, and that team comes running out onto the field. And what does the whole crowd do if it's a home team? <laughs> they roar. 
that crowd roars and it sounds like almost like a water and thunder all at the same time. And that's what's happening when the people of God put their eyes upon Jesus and he's the one they cheer for. He's the one they love. He's the one who deserves their praise because he's the best. No one can compete with him. He's earned them the victory. And so they sit there in complete and utter salvation going, here's our new song, Jesus. And the Father, He's great. And it's this just amazing scene that John sees where these people having been redeemed out of the world are now singing this beautiful song to Jesus. It says in verse 4, It is these who have not defiled themselves with women for their virgins. It is these who follow the Lamb wherever He goes. These have been redeemed from mankind as firstfruits for God and the Lamb. And in their mouth no lie was found, for they are blameless. Now, suddenly, it's Father's Day. We've been talking about, well, there's maybe some panic in here. This says that, it, that 144,000 are virgins. They're not fathers. They haven't been married. Uh, mothers in here might be doing the same thing. Uh, what? Uh, so, we need to talk about that. What does that mean? God uses physical things in our life, whether it's marriage, fatherhood, motherhood, virginity, these sorts of things in our physical life to represent that which he is illustrating uh, for us in the spiritual. He has actually used what teenagers and mankind have been rebelling against all along, saying, why do I need to be married to somebody to sleep with them? Right? And so now the world is saying, you don't need that commitment. Just hook up. Amen. Hook up for a night or hook up for a week. Hook up for years. You don't need to get married. But see, God put these in, things in place not only because it's best for you in your relationships. It's the most healthy way that you can have relationship with other human beings. Or as God wanted to be, another human being. Singular. It's not only most healthy for that. But what he's saying in those established rules and laws that we so kick against is he's illustrating in the spiritual realm that the people of God have been set apart spiritually as people who are saving themselves for their husband, Jesus. We have said, we don't want to sleep around with the world. We don't want to become adulterous with the things that the world has to offer. We are saving ourselves. It was all to illustrate the fact that God's people need to be pure and blameless for that moment when God, by his redemption, pulls his bride to himself and says, let's go home. Let's be together in relationship forever. It's illustrating that. And immediately, some of you are like, oh, man, I've completely failed. Maybe you failed on that physical level and you're like, man, I don't I don't measure up. Maybe maybe some of you. You have it on the physical level, and I'm not going to go into it because of the age group that we have here today, but spiritually you said, you know what? I have been adulterous towards God. I've, I've completely sold him out so many times. I'm not blameless before God. Amen. And as we talk about these things where over and over and over, you and I as people have completely failed God's rules for holiness, we stand before him and say, well, wait a second, how do I make it into that complete number of 144,000 as somebody who's a virgin and blameless, even spiritually. I've completely messed up in my life. You can even think back to this last week. How many times have you lied? 
How many times have you out-greeted somebody else? Cheated them? How many times have you spoken harshly to your kids? How many times have you uh, talked about somebody behind their back, but you weren't really talking about them behind their back, you were sharing a prayer request? <laughs> you even guys that spiritually... But you recognize that even this last week, we have been so unholy. How could we for then a minute say that, yeah, we are set apart as blameless spiritually virgins for God? And therein lies the key to the good news of Jesus Christ. Grace. That no matter what you have done in your life, no matter what this last week, that pile of garbage that you've lived, that the moment that you say, Lord, save me, He forgives you of your sin. And He gives you a record that is absolutely blameless. You look like a virgin. You look like somebody who's absolutely clean before God. So that your inclusion into the people of God is based upon His grace and His forgiveness, not upon your works and your attempts to be spiritual. It's not based upon you doing enough. It's not based upon you doing too little, and that's why you didn't make it. It's based upon the fact that God the Father so loved the world that He gave His one and only begotten Son as the Lamb of God and had Him killed on a tree and bled out and died. And in that moment, your sin was upon Jesus. He died for your record. All the stuff you did this last week, He paid for that. Because the Father loves you. He so loves you. And the moment you say, Father, forgive me, He takes all of your sin and He lumped it on His Son and He died in your place. And so no wonder we gather together with the people of God, 144,000, that complete number, and we sing out this new beautiful song and say, He is worth it! He is glorious! And He's our salvation! And I could sing about that for forever because when I look at the wretched state of my heart, I was in complete adultery. I had slept around with the world. At every moment, I was, I was just living a life of sexual immorality. Take that physically or take that spiritually. And yet the moment the Lord forgave you, your sins were gone. Join with the people of God. Praise Him. And we sing that doxology after we take the offering. And you notice that you're calling on everybody else to praise Him with you. Hey, you praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all you creatures here below. Praise Him, heavenly hosts. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Why? Because we don't deserve to be in that number. But when the saints go marching in, we will be in that number. If we have called upon the name of Jesus, the Lamb of God, to save us from our sins, He wipes us clean and He puts us into this completely pure bride, the people of God. So He deserves all thanks and praise and this people gather around and they thank Him. And it says that they are first fruits of God. Now, this is based upon farming. Okay? This community's ears should perk up. You know farming. For many of you, you may not have a a big produce farm that sells in the markets, or maybe you do. But you grew up with a family farm, right? 
Do you remember when you would go out with your mom or your dad or your, your extended family, and you would go out there after you'd worked hard plowing that field, and you had worked hard after you, you, you sowed the seed, and you've, you've done all the work of tending, and you go out there, and there's a day when you go out there, and up out of the ground, almost miraculously, almost magically, is coming this absolutely beautiful produce. Fruits and vegetables. Well, some of you might not think the vegetables are beautiful, but they're good for you. It's a miracle. And it comes out of the ground. And the Lord said to the farmers in the Scripture, when you get the first of those fruits, those are the fruits of the strength of the plant. That's the best. Bring that to me. Offer it to me. It's set apart for me. In fact, they had some rules in the Old Testament in Leviticus, which most of the time is just seen as kind of a boring book. But in Leviticus, it gave them a, a, a whole holiday that was about the first fruits. It says this, Speak to the people of Israel and say to them, When you come into the land that I'm going to give you and reap its harvest, you shall bring the sheaf of the first fruits of your harvest to the priest, and he shall wave the sheaf before the Lord so that you may be accepted. On the day after the Sabbath, the priest shall wave it. And on the day when you wave the sheaf, you shall offer a male lamb, a year old, without blemish, as a burnt offering to the Lord. And the grain offering with it shall be two-tenths of an ephah and of fine flour mixed with oil, a food offering to the Lord with a pleasing aroma. And the drink offering with it shall be of wine, a fourth of a hen. And you shall eat neither bread nor grain parched, uh, or fresh until this same day, until you have brought the offering of your God. It's a statute forever throughout your generations in all your dwellings. You might think, well, okay, boring holiday. <laughs> boring holiday rules and traditions. That's what we do. Look for a moment at what happened at the bringing of the first fruits. When they brought that harvest, it was just like when you see those beautiful things coming out of the ground. That meant they were going to survive. Their family was going to eat, and so they would take the first and it said, bring that grain, bind it up, and you would have a sheaf of this thing that you would weigh before the Lord, giving praises that there is the miracle of life. Amen. This is all pointing to Jesus. That when we sing praises to God, we're actually waving the picture of Jesus before His Father saying, we live in Jesus and we, we are so thankful for Him. It's about Jesus. Amen. And did you notice that after they waved that sheaf, this beautiful sign of, of life that they would took a lamb, they took a lamb and they would kill the lamb and offer that as well. Oh, what a picture of Jesus. It's right there that the lamb of God would ultimately be slaughtered to set apart a people. First fruits to God. They would slaughter. It was a picture of Jesus. And then it goes on and says this, if you notice in that passage, take grain, mix it with oil and give it, and it'll be right there. And it gets burned up. It's like bread on the altar. The bread was give, being given, and it says, with that bread, I also want you to give wine. This is what they were offering, communion. They had bread and they had wine right there in the Old Testament there was all a picture of Jesus ultimately going to the cross and giving his body and giving his blood and the lamb being sacrificed and it being weighed before God to say, this is life for these people. By his body, by his blood, by his sacrifice, by his life being given, having been reaped out of the ground, this is life 
for the people of God, and now they will be set apart for Him as His people. They are the first fruits. Because Jesus is called the first fruits in His resurrection. And so if you say to yourself, man, I would love to be in that number. Here's what you can't be. You can't be not a first fruit. You can't be just religious. You can't just hope to make it in. You can't find another route, another way. You can't be the most popular. You can't be the most uh, monastic monk just being spiritual. You must be in Christ. Because as Christ died as the Lamb, gave His body and blood, He resurrected and that was the first fruits. So that anybody who called upon the name of Jesus, they would be raised with Christ. And that is when you're offered with God as the beautiful first fruits. The strength of God is in Jesus. It's in the Lamb. And so if you don't find your forgiveness in Jesus and Jesus alone, you're not first fruits. And if you're not first fruits, you don't get His name. And if you're not first fruits, you're with the other team. And with your, if you're with the other team, then you don't have life. And if you don't have life for forever, you will not be in that number singing out praise. You will be in a number that is destroyed. Amen. God's hope, His hope is that you would hear that good news of saying, well, how do I get in that number? And the Scripture told us that He so loved the world that whosoever believes, that's it. You say, I believe. Lord, I want that gift. I want that grace. I want that sacrifice to be washing me clean. And you're in. You're in. You don't have to scrounge up enough money to go to the game. He paid it for you. You were redeemed. And you get in free. And then as you sit there in the Lord's people, you don't have to keep doing things to try to make Him love you more. You haven't done so much evil that He loves you any less. Some of you might say, well, Pastor, I have a long, long record. You know what? His grace is deeper than your record. Amen. You can't outgrace Jesus. He will take care of every one of your sins if you just stop and surrender and say, Lord, I give up. I believe. Forgive me. Amen. And in that moment, you were included in the first fruits. You were included in the people of God. You were included in the people who for forever were saying, isn't He amazing? It says that when we see the Lamb of God, we'll be so infatuated with Him that we'll be the ones who just follow Him around. You ever see those superstars that are just, they're so super. they got the groupies. they got the people that just follow them from like city to city. You watch the NBA and NFL superstars walking into the stadiums and they've got their cronies walking with them. They just want to go wherever the superstar goes. Why? Because they can shoot baskets? I mean, I personally think that's pretty cool, but I don't want to follow that dude everywhere and watch what cereal he eats and, you know. But Jesus? Yeah, I want to know what he eats for breakfast. I want to watch him all the time. He's so good. We will be with him forever, and he's, so, he's going to be worth it. Today, if you're sitting in a position saying, well, I don't, I don't know if I'm clean. I don't know if I'm blameless. 
Just come to the Lord and say, Lord, I, I want to receive your grace. I repent. Please forgive me. Boom, you're in. Don't wait on this. Things are happening at a quick clip. You watch things in Orlando, comes fast. That city, boom, boom, boom. Three things, just boom, boom, boom. None of those people knew that was coming. You don't know when your day is coming. Amen. And so don't put that off and say, I'll, I'll be forgiven tomorrow. Go to the Lord today. Get it taken care of today. And then know, no matter what you do, if you've been saved in Christ, you are completely free. You're forgiven. You're blameless. In your spirit, soul, and body, the Scripture says, you're completely and utterly forgiven. Happy Father's Day. Father, we do come to You. We thank You for Your great love for us. That for all these children that You wanted to, not just to have as foster kids, You wanted to adopt us. So You sacrificed Your one pure Son in order to redeem and adopt for yourselves, for yourself a multitude of children who have long records and histories of being disobedient and cruel to others, arrogant, completely caught up in the ways of the world. And yet you've told us there's nothing that we need to do to save ourselves, that you've done everything for us. And so, Lord, we ask that you would save us. Lord, we believe. Pray that you would grow our, um, uh, our belief, Lord. We would not doubt. We thank you for salvation, Lord, that this means that not only then do we live life now through your spirit, but we will live for eternity. We can't even grasp that. But, Lord, we pray that you would continue to, to encourage us to live now out of gratitude. May every day for us spiritually be Father's Day. That with our lives we may thank our Father and be grateful for the Lamb of God who was slain for us. We thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name.